Friends, would you please stand with me as we read the Lord's Word? This morning, we are just about done with the book of Colossians. My apologies to you who sat through Sunday school. It was an excellent Sunday school, and much of what I'm saying this morning derives from uh, Colossians. It will sound like I was taking notes during Sunday school to preach a sermon. Um, I assure you this was done uh, before the Sunday school this morning. Again, I want to read to us from Colossians chapter 4, verses 10 through 18, and we're looking at verses 15 through 17. If again, you will give ear to the Lord's word. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers uh, for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. And they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bondslave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you for your part read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This is the Lord's word. Would you please be seated, friends, and let's ask the Lord's help. Again, our Father, we thank you for this day and thank you for your word and pray, though, that your blessing will be upon it going forward, that you would give your spirit both to this servant and to these, your people, and give us ears to hear. We pray, Lord, that we will hear what is said and not what is not said. We pray for your, um, your anointing to be upon this place, that Satan will not get a foothold. We pray, Lord, that his kingdom will suffer great injury and that your kingdom will be vastly blessed. We give you ourselves now and pray that you would help us to be able to stay awake and to pay attention, and that you would help this servant not to drone on. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So my daughter, some of you who were here uh, Wednesday night, my daughter Anastasia, brought a friend home with her to meet her parents. Wonderful blessing young man named Josiah and we spent several days together at the house asking lots of questions and Thursday night we had a dinner and I opened it up to all the family members who were there to ask questions the poor man didn't eat much (laughs) he answered a lot of questions it was a wonderful time we really had a wonderful time with them and during the week as we were uh, in each other's presence we asked about a thousand different things As they were preparing to leave Friday morning, and as I was needing to head out the door, I found myself giving them last-minute advice or counsel concerning the trip back to Denver. And I found myself saying things like, make sure you get gas in Rollins. Uh, Beware of stopping at this place or that place. Watch the trucks on I-80. I just say these things, and my question is, why do I say these things? partly because I'm a father and it's my habit to say things like this to people, but the real reason is because I love my daughter. I love her. 
I do it because I want uh, she and her friend Josiah to be safe. I want them to thrive. I want them to avoid unnecessary hardships along the way. And so here in these closing verses, the Apostle Paul, as he is now wrapping up this very short and very important and substantive letter, he conveys his attitude, words of instruction and exhortations to the church in Colossae. They are words intended to bless, words conveying a warm and generous spirit, words intended to push them in the right direction, words meant to challenge one man in particular and all the saints generally. And why? Because he cares for them as an apostle and as a servant of the Lord. The only way they could avoid being blessed is if they were to ignore or disregard altogether his words. If we look at verse 15, we read this. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. The apostle has already sent greetings from Aristarchus, Mark, that is Barnabas' cousin, as well as Jesus, who is called Justice, three faithful fellow workers from the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God, who are from the circumcision. He has also sent greetings from three Gentiles, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. But now the apostle sends his very own greetings to the brothers and sisters who are in Laodicea and those who also meet in the house of Nympha, that is the church that gathers there in her house. Again, the greeting we should not take as a mere formality, as we learned in Sunday school. It's not just a, hey, how's it going? You know, you pass somebody on the street or you stand to somebody in a, in a checkout line and you just make small talk. It's not what this is about. Nor should we consider these words, as we pointed out some weeks back, uh, as though they are less God-breathed than other uh, words in the scripture. But here, what we have is the Apostle Paul expressing an earnest desire to bless, and it means to salute one, to bid welcome, or to wish well to what Stephen Lawson said. It is that embrace. It's drawing them in, welcoming them in. It's a very warm and and loving thing that he is doing here. And in this instance, he sends this greeting to those who are in Laodicea and to a small group of believers who gather in the house of a lady named Nympha. Paul, remember this, is an apostle. Remember, he never went to Colossae, nor has he ever been to Laodicea. The Colossian church was started by Epaphras, who we're told in chapter 1, he was our beloved fellow bondservant. Paul, it is believed, is under house arrest in Rome at this time. He is separated from these people by hundreds of miles, and again, he's never met them in person, and yet... He sends his greetings to those who are in Laodicea by way of the Colossians, Laodicea being about 10 miles to the northwest on the banks of the Lycus River. And he sends greetings to Nympha, perhaps because it was her house in which the local church met, or at least it was an important part of the local church. So he's sending these greetings. He's sending these warm greetings. And I need to just make an aside here about the, the house church. Uh, The house churches are frequently mentioned in the New Testament. And as I was preparing this and studying, it it dawned on me what a wonderful um, example and model we have here. Remember, Colossae is there in in Asia Minor, and Laodicea is about 10 miles away. And in, in Laodicea, 10 miles away, there's a house church. 
Now, Laodicea is only about as far away from, from Colossae as Hudson is from Lander. And there was a house church there. They had a house church and they had a, 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 probably a larger body as well. Maybe, maybe the house church was on the outskirts of Laodicea. But we find that there are pockets of believers. And so rather than neglect uh, the Lord's Day or neglect fellowshipping together, what has happened is and because Laodicea is too far to walk, nobody's going to walk from Hudson to Lander and then Lander back to Hudson. They meet there. And so we find this wonderful example, and, and in the, the context here of our world in which we're living, we hear the rumblings of this Agenda 2021 and travel being limited. So it, it dawned on me this could be a great point of encouragement for us. What are you going to do if they limit gasoline and you can't drive from Riverton to Lander? Meet at Sharon's house. <laughs> she just offered, thank you. That's the idea, is that we don't need to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That even in the Lord's providence, he demonstrates to us that there's a way that this works. And so if something should come about, and we hear these things, I'm inclined to believe that these rumblings are true, that there are aspirations or desires for these things to come about. Guess what happens? The Lord still provides for his people. And we don't need to be afraid. Be wise, be shrewd, prepare whatever needs to be prepared. Do not panic. Don't panic about these things. Here's this woman, Nympha, which if she was a woman, and we believe she was and not a man, scholars believe this is a woman and not a nymphus. By the way, nymph, uh, Nympha means young maiden, so it'd be a little strange to name a guy young maiden. Um, <clears throat> This woman used her home to be a blessing to the Lord's people. That's the way we need to look at our material belongings. It's just there to be a blessing to people. And so we use them to bless the Lord's people. Friends, when things become unconventional, we do what is necessary. Please don't worry. Don't worry about the Agenda 21 stuff. Vote against it. Be smart about it. But don't, don't succumb to fear. That, that would be opposite of the way the Lord's people ought to be living these days. Now, the question I have is, is why did he send his greetings? After all, the apostle is an important man. If we think of him from an earthly perspective, he's an important man, a man of consequence in the church, one that shouldn't be bothered, nor should trouble himself with people he does not know or who are of low consequence. I speak sarcastically. But he does. He takes the time to write. He takes the time to point out. What we see here evidenced in the sending of this greeting and exemplified for us is a man of meekness and great humility. That's what we can say about the Apostle Paul. He was a man who was not high on himself or who took the attitude that he was too good for others. He was a man who demonstrated the same mindset of our Lord and who would exhort the church to this same mindset, saying in Philippians 2, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also uh, for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. He has reached out, made it a point to bless and encourage brothers and sisters in the Lord hundreds of miles away whom he hasn't met, even those few who would be meeting in the home of this Christian woman named Nympha. We see an attitude here in the Apostle Paul, a wonderful attitude that the Colossians would, would see this and they would be urged on to follow this example. Hey, if the Apostle Paul would take time to say, greet those in Laodicea, perhaps we should be greeting those same individuals in Laodicea. No one was beneath him or his recognition. Stephen Lawson said the same thing. They aren't nobodies. They are not insignificant. They are the Lord's people, bought and paid for by his blood. They are redeemed. They are part of the mystical body of Christ, the church, indwelt by the spirit of Christ and fellow heirs of the glory of Christ. They matter. They matter to the Lord. They matter to the apostle, and they should matter to us as well. Therefore, the apostle demonstrates a warmth and an affection for them, leaving for the church then and now how we too should view one another in the church. Obviously, we, we think of, uh, of the church in China or Ukraine, North Korea, or the Middle East. We pray for them, and we should. We are supposed to remember people who are in prison. That is given to us as instruction in the book of Hebrews. Paul would say, when one suffers, we all suffer together. When one rejoices, we all rejoice together. The body feels it. So we pray for those people, but we also pray and mix with brothers and sisters in other churches and denominations, though they be somewhat different, yet not a different savior nor a different gospel. And that's a point we'll come back to in just a little bit. But I think it's very important to understand. Again, good discussion in Sunday school, if you missed it, um, talking about who do, we, who do we reach out to? How big is the church? Is the church this big? Does it include Mormons? No. Why? Because it's a different Jesus. But is it this big? The size of our congregation or our, our, our little denomination? No, no, no. It's far bigger than that. I remember going to um, a theology discussion, which ended up not being a theological discussion at all. And they, one of the complaints was, well, you, you all disagree among yourselves. You Baptists and Lutherans and Methodists and uh, Presbyterians, you're all different. And it was very clarifying for me to answer. I said, you know, we do have some differences, but what we all agree upon, all of us, is that there is salvation in no one else than Jesus Christ. And, and, and that baptism is, picture, is a picture of his blood being spilt and washing, setting apart that person, cleansing them of their sins. And I could say that the church is not just the Presbyterian church, but it doesn't include everything. Our Cone Confession says that all churches are a mixture of purity and impurity, and some of them become so impure that they're no longer churches at all, but synagogues of Satan, because they're no longer preaching the biblical Jesus, and they're not preaching the biblical gospel, but adding to it. And so we love the brothers and sisters. We fellowship with the brothers and sisters. We pray. We wish well for. We're not interested in stealing sheep, but we are interested in pointing people to Jesus Christ. 
And not all churches do that, do they? And so we've got to quit thinking territorially and we need to start thinking biblically. What does it, what does it mean to please the Lord? Peter would say in 1 Peter 1.22, fervently love one another from the heart. And so Paul would say in some of his closing remarks, greet the brethren, greet the brethren. He gives a second word of exhortation in verse 16. We read this. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you for your part read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Here we would say, read the word, read the word. The letter of Colossians was written to help the church, to protect the church from false teachers and their influence upon the church, teaching and influencing the church that Christ Jesus was not enough. This is what the false teachers were promoting. Again, to be truly a Christian, according to the false teachers, you must take upon yourself things in addition to Christ to do more and rest less in Christ alone. If you, in fact, you turn over to Colossians 2 and listen to verses 8 through 15, we read this. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority, and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. There's the gist, the, the nub of the book of Colossians. Christ is sufficient. Christ is enough. And the false teachers were saying otherwise. It is likely that the influence of these false teachers teachers propagating doctrines of demons, was also influencing the church in Laodicea since it was only about 10 miles away. It would be important for the church there in Laodicea to also read Paul's letter to the Colossians as they too would be tempted to place their confidence in someone, themselves, or something other than Jesus Christ alone. They should also read this letter both churches, and also in God's providence, all churches of all time, because it is a message with timeless significance for the church. Fads come into the church. Fads come into the church and suggestions and ways of doing things a particular way, and they end up taking on a life of their own and become codified traditions that are equated to or surpass the scriptures in the minds of men and women and supplant the word of God and its authority. It's a very easy thing for us to fall into, right? I just stop reading my Bible and I start reading some Christian, so-called Christian magazine, even if it's a pretty decent Christian magazine, but it's not the scriptures, you see, or I come under the influence of people and I start thinking, rather than thinking biblically, I start the influence of the people starts to weigh on me and they go, yeah, you know, they're kind of making sense in the things they're saying. But it's not the scriptures. I read a wonderful quote and it might have been posted on Facebook. 
It was George Mueller who said he loved, the, he, he adhered to the doctrines of Darby, right, the founder of dispensationalism. He says, I love those doctrines of Darby until I started reading my Bible and I realized Mr. Darby was more and more off the beaten path. <laughs> I had to reject the doctrines of Darby, he says. That's the way it should be. We read the scriptures, and the scriptures point out to us things that we shouldn't be going down. Notice what he says. Read the Bible. You read this letter. You pass it on to the Laodiceans. The letter I wrote to them, I want you then to pass it on to you. You're going to read the scriptures, and this is how we are going to preserve health in the church. This is what's going to encourage you to thrive. The word of God keeps us grounded, my friends. It keeps us from being blown around by every wind of doctrine. It enables us to discern between good and evil, right and wrong, to discern what are truly doctrines of demons. It is the canon, the standard, the reed by which we judge all things and by which we judge ourselves. So how could you go wrong? Read the letter that I wrote. It, it will protect you. It will help you. You will see with what the Colossians are fighting against. It's how we discern in our own day what we should and shouldn't be believing and doing. It's what protects us. And so, when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. Now, in the past, I have said, don't read the word because you have to, but read the word because you get to. And I've said that. I've said it a number of times, and I think it's a generally a pretty good statement except it needs some explanation. And out of concern for, for how some might understand this saying, I want to clarify. Again, the word preached, the word read, the word meditated upon is vital for a healthy and vibrant faith. As I read these long chapters, like Joshua 10, and I go, oh, why does he have to read such a long chapter? Friends, it's basically a discipline. It's, it's like if I'm going to hurt the congregation, let me hurt them by reading too long. Right, because the the opposite danger is is a worse danger, not reading enough. Some of you don't have don't have the time, or perhaps the inclination to pick up and read, and so if you're going to hear come to church, you should hear scripture read. No apologies for that. The word read, the word preached, the word meditated upon is vital for a healthy and vibrant faith. As said, it keeps us grounded, it keeps us focused, it keeps us moored, it enables us to judge and discern between good and evil. The word is necessary. The word, having a personal copies of it, should not be taken for granted. We may not have this privilege much longer. Many Christians in the world do not have a Bible of their own, you realize. My statement of, of don't read the word because you have to, but read the word because you get to, uh, should not be taken as if the Bible, as if Bible intake is not important or something about which we should be nonchalant. I never want to give that impression to any of the Lord's people that somehow Bible reading is it's not a big deal. Pastor said, read it because you get to. I don't really feel like it. And so we're going to take a very nonchalant attitude towards it. I don't want to create that or encourage that in any way in anyone. I meant something very narrow by it. Don't read it because you need it in order to secure God's favor. I came out of a very uh, kind of a, a background where little rules were given. I was sharing with my wife this week. Uh, I had a pastor, and I respect this man very deeply, very dearly. 
And yet he said something once. He goes, I never let my feet touch the floor uh, before I pray, meaning you should pray before you get out of bed. That's a, that's a good practice. But is that a rule the Lord gives us? Do I need to feel guilty? I have to race to the bathroom, but, well, I haven't prayed yet. i got to sit back down on my bed. I mean, you, you see, we do these things. We create these little rules for us, for ourselves, and we judge ourselves as being righteous or not so righteous, good, worthy, uh, or not so good and worthy, based on the little rules that we create, and we push them on other people. This is one of those little rules. This is one of those things. Good Christians read their Bibles. I would say Christians read their Bibles. You should, because we get to, because we can, because we're blessed to have it. But in no way is reading my Bible or, or any other Christian discipline going to earn me one skosh more favor or blessing from the Lord. Do you understand that? And so I was made that statement to free people of the guilt of they miss their quiet time on a Wednesday, and so they're, they're depressed. And they go, you don't need to be depressed. Christ is is sufficient for you. Having said that, please don't mistake my words for saying that this pastor thinks reading your Bible is not important because I think it's tremendously important. And I think the way we structure the service in the church demonstrates I believe reading the scriptures is important for the body of Christ. And I laboriously pour myself over the preaching of the word and, and try to, to, to milk it for what it's all that I can get out of it so that you can be fed on the Lord's word. I have a high view of the Lord's word. You should have a high view of the Lord's word. The Apostle Paul had a high view of the Lord's word. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful with the bumper sticker theology. I myself need to be very careful of that. Paul would go on to say, and you for your part read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Many don't realize, didn't realize that Paul has written a letter to the Laodiceans. There are a variety of theories and ideas as to what this meant. I will not go into these theories, but two, and that briefly. One theory is this, is that Paul is referring, when he writes, speaks about the letter that was sent to the Laodiceans, one theory is that this is the book, our book of Ephesians, which was a circular letter. In, in other words, one church reads it, and then they pass it on to the next church. Tychicus would have delivered the letter to Laodicea on his way to Colossae to deliver Paul's letter. When each church was done, they should swap letters. Now, there obviously there are um, pros and cons to all these different arguments. The other major theory that is widely held, and the one I suppose I hold to, is that Paul wrote a letter to the Laodiceans a letter that has not survived, which never made it into the canon of Scripture. It does little good to speculate as to why, and at this time it might be good to say what most parents say to their little children uh, when they ask why, and you say, because this is why the, what the Lord wanted. <laughs> the Lord saw fit not to include the book, the letter that was written to the Laodiceans, into the canon of Scripture. The bigger point and the more significant lesson here is that the apostle wanted both churches singing off the same sheet of music. Not some information for one and other information for the other, but the whole word for the whole church. The apostle Paul was concerned that the whole word be given to the whole church. 
And while, and I mentioned this, we acknowledge differences in churches in theology, the church does not include all who profess to be churches, nor is it limited to those in our denomination alone. We speak of reformation. And reformation is not just something the OPC looks at. It's something that the whole church ought to always be engaged in, and that is bringing our practice and our theology into greater conformity with the word of the Lord. And so we have the word, and all churches should be bringing their theology and practice into greater conformity to the word. This is why we would be reading it, and this is why we would be passing it on, so that the whole church would be doing what the Lord tells us to do in his word. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4.17. Listen to what he says. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. He teaches the same thing in, in, in every church. Everywhere he goes, in every church, he's not giving different messages. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, 17, we read, Only as the Lord is assigned to each one, as God has called each, in his manner, let him walk, and so I direct in all the churches. The same theology, the same practice ought to be in the Lord's church. The apostle does not promote one theology and practice for one church and something else for another church, but one theology and one practice for all. Read the word. That's the goal is for all of us to look more and more like Jesus Christ for every church in this town so that as time goes on, guess what's happening? If we're all reforming, we're all getting closer and closer together under the headship of Christ. That's always a good thing. And that, friends, might be where persecution becomes a real blessing to the Lord's church, causing us to look at neighbors and say, you know, I know you're a Nazarene, but man, I sure love you and I sure appreciate you. That's, that's a good thing. Without compromising what the Bible says and, and, and being willing to talk and, and lay things on the table, that's a good thing. So his second exhortation was, read the word. And finally, he says in verse 17, take heed to the ministry you've received. Verse 17, we read this. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Take heed to the ministry you've received. Now Paul, the apostle, wisely considering his words, calls attention to Archippus. Who is he? We read this in Philemon, uh, verse 2. To Philemon, our beloved brother, and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. It is probable that Archippus was the son of Philemon and Aphia. It is likely that he was not very old, perhaps like Timothy, a young man somewhere between the age of 34 and 39, scholars say, who was in the church in Colossae, an interim shepherd. Paul would say to Timothy, let no one look down in your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. A young man who, recognizing that people have socks older than he is, may be timid in performing and fulfilling the ministry that the Lord has called him to. It may have been that this was uh, the situation with Archippus. 
We don't know exactly on what he was deficient as the interim pastor. He was referred to as a fellow soldier in Philemon. It is not likely that he was lazy. Perhaps he was timid like Timothy. Um, was he slow in addressing problems? We don't rightly know. Some commentators, one commentator said this, that it was a lack of diligence perhaps on his part in this area of ministry that allowed the errorists, that is the false teachers, to get a toehold in the Colossian congregation. Maybe he wasn't up on his game. Ulrich Zwingli implies that perhaps Archippus was just weary and needed to be exhorted. The best um, theory concerning Archippus comes, in my opinion, from William Hendrickson, who said this. Further, since he, too, just like Timothy, was probably rather young and somewhat different, wondering perhaps whether the church would, uh, would give him, a man so inexperienced, its full cooperation in this important work, the apostle very tactfully orders the congregation itself to encourage him by saying to him, as it were, go right ahead, we are with you and we promise to help you in every way. The task you are trying to perform was given to you by the Lord, and you are discharging it with strength imparted by him. Hence, attend to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you fulfill it. And he says, this, of course, is speculation. But I like that speculation, and I like it for one, a couple of reasons. One, it would seem that he's calling out Archippus, you're, you're, you're lacking. But he tells the congregation, he tells the congregation, Take, uh, say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Again, we don't know for certain why he says this to Archippus, but we do know for certain that when Archippus, for whatever reason, was not doing uh, what the Lord had called him to, to, uh, to do, the church suffered. Under shepherds are given for the purpose to protect the church and to care for the church. That was Archippus's job. That's the pastor's job. If Hendrickson is correct in his speculation, it would be the congregation inviting or encouraging a pastor to pastor them, welcoming it, urging him to it, not making it difficult for him. It would also be a reminder to Archippus that the Lord had called him to care for his church, and he must do so regardless of the hardships and opposition he faced. Which reminds us generally from this example that none of us should be slack in serving our Lord. The Lord gives gifts, and those gifts are to be used, not withheld, nor to be rejected. He says, take heed to the ministry which you have received. Helpful advice in a small book, wrapping things up. What does he say? Greet the brethren, read the word, and pay heed to your ministry. Fulfill it. Do it. Make use of the gifts that the Lord has given. Make use of the gifts of other people that he has given. Greet one another warmly. Hold fast to each other and cling to the word of God, my friends. This is how a church thrives when we do these things. If you will, please bow with me and let's pray. We thank you again, Father, for your word and for the simple and plain instruction in this passage. We pray for a growing love for one another. We pray, Father, for a growing um, love of your word and obedience to it. And we pray that we would mutually uh, fulfill our ministries, the things that, Lord, you have called us to, and that we would not neglect them. 
We ask for your blessing upon this congregation that you would help us, Lord, to thrive, that we would thrive in these means of grace that you have given, and that you will advance your kingdom, that Jesus Christ would become better known throughout Lander and Riverton, that you would embolden your people, and that you would open doors for the gospel. Please help us, O Lord, to walk in your godly fear and, and to trust ourselves to you. We thank you again for your word and for your blessing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.